0: Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, uh, once again I love you so very much and it is the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning as we, uh, again we celebrate Palm Sunday but we press right along in the study that we're in right now. If you're joining us or again if it's been a little while since you've uh, been here, we are going through the book of Ruth and the title of our study has been Redeeming Love. Redeeming Love. And we've said that the book of Ruth is a beautiful human love story And it's about the earthly redemption from tragedy, but it's a divine love story in our heavenly redemption from sin. And so as we've walked through each passage, each verse in the book of Ruth so far, my challenge to all of us is to see the humanity in it, but also see how it also points to Jesus Christ. Because the ultimate redeeming love, and we'll start scratching the surface on that here today, and we'll really dive into that in two weeks when we return after Easter for chapter 4, about how the redemption that we have and the love that was shown to us through Christ is the greatest redeeming love of all. But let us not miss the humanity of it here today as we look at this beautiful love story between Ruth and Boaz. Very quickly, if uh, you were not here the first couple of weeks Typically, what I like to do as we walk through the passage is come up with a key word or a key idea that helps us to connect. I tell Dave, it's a shelf to put things on, all right? And uh, week one was brokenness. As we walked into the beginning of the book of Ruth, what we saw was what it means to be at ground zero. We saw a woman in Naomi who lost her husband and her two sons. We saw a woman in Ruth who was absolutely broken and losing her husband as well. And what would they do when they hit rock bottom at the end of that first passage in in, uh, actually verse 6 is when they decided, you know what, we're going to make a U-turn and go back to Bethlehem. In the midst of their brokenness, they called out to God, Naomi knowing who God was, and Ruth trusting in who God was because of Naomi. As we walk through chapter 2, or the end of chapter 1, in our second message, we talked about the key word being Loyalty that Ruth gave an unbelievable pledge of loyalty to her mother-in-law. She was not Jewish, but her mother-in-law was. She was a Moabite, and her land represented a place that Naomi and her husband went to in rebellion against God. So Ruth is not a Jewish woman, but Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you live, I will live, and your God will be my God, and your people will be my people, and where you die, I will die unspeakable loyalty shown through Ruth to her mother-in-law. So finally we get towards chapter 2 and we see they find their way into Bethlehem and everybody is stirred. Some people are excited to see them. Some people are really angry that these these, uh, heretics who left and and abandoned the Jewish faith are now coming back because they heard that God was once again blessing the nation of Israel. But then we see the key word in week 3 was Grace. God gave them grace and he did it through Ruth who went after God's grace and ran into the grain fields asking for a blessing and receiving a blessing. And as we see, not only did she receive the earthly blessing of this wonderful crop of barley grain, she also received salvation because Boaz told her, because of your faith, you've now come under the wings of the one true God. And that leads us to where we are right now. As we enter into chapter 3, and the key word that I want to talk about today is not a popular word, but I'm not backing down from it, because God is revealing this word to us because we need to know it. The key word is submission, and the title of our message here this morning is The Strength of Our Submission. The Strength of Our Submission. So to prepare our hearts and our minds for this, let me prime the pump with a question, and I want you to give this some serious thought. What is the first image that comes to your mind when I say the word submissive? Stop and think about this for a minute. What is the first image that comes to your mind when I say the word submissive? If a person is submissive, what do you picture in your mind? I would would venture to say, because we're American in 2018, here's what we would think about submissive. We would think weak, timid, helpless, defeated inferior cowardly controllable passive for lack of better words a victim is what we would think about when we think about someone who is submissive but you know the word of god gives us a much different portrait The Word of God shows us that a person of God who willingly submits to the authority that has been placed above him or her, that submission is the truest and rarest form of personal strength. It is the truest and rarest form of personal strength. A person who is submissive out of glory to God is a person who is strong and not weak. And that is what Ruth and, to some lesser degree, Boaz will show us today as we look at chapter 3. So how do I define submission according to the Bible? Because we all know in an earthly way what we think about submission. But biblically speaking, I would define submission this way. I would say submission is when someone intentionally chooses to to deny their own will and consistently yield to the authority placed above them as an act of worshiping God. When someone willingly and consistently Yields to the authority that God has placed above them as an act of worship and an act of trust in God's sovereign will. That is someone who is biblically submissive. And as I'm going to say many times as we walk through the passage, this world is dying to see what biblical submission looks like. And Ruth, and Ruth shows it to us. And Ruth shows it to us. So, what's the big idea as we walk through chapter 3? In one sentence. Here's the idea that I want us to wrap our minds around. We learned from Ruth and Boaz that our truest strength is found in our total submission to the sovereign will of God. The strongest of the strong will be the most consistently submissive to the sovereign will of God. And that's what Ruth and Boaz will show us today as we walk through chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Ruth. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, the whole chapter. Again, the book of Ruth chapter 3, if you do not have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you, we will be on page 263 in your pew Bible. Again, 263 in your pew Bible, and if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence to the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, perfect, fully sufficient word of God. Again, we are in Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to walk through the whole chapter together. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is it not Boaz, our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, lie down until the morning so she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another and he said let it not be known or let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor and he said bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out so she held it and he measured out 6 measures of barley and put it on her then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law she said how did you fare my daughter Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I confess before you and this church that this word submission is not a very popular one. But Father your definition is much more beautiful and we need to know it and we need to live it. So Father I pray in the few moments that we have left as we walk through the passage here that you would anoint the words that all the honor and glory would be yours and it would pierce our hearts in such a way that we would respond in repentance that we would respond in faith and that we would respond in submission ultimately to your sovereign will as you place authority figures over us in every aspect of our lives. Father, help us to be faithful to you, I pray, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Before we uh, walk into the chapter here, there's one term I need to define, because if we don't understand what this is, we'll miss the whole rest of the chapter. And we'll really miss the rest of the book. If there's one concept that is uniquely important to the book of Ruth, it is a concept known as a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. Now, we don't use that term in 2018, so it's understandable that most of you have never heard it, but let me talk about what a kinsman redeemer is. According to the laws of Moses, specifically in the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God reveals How important it is for the nation of Israel to be preserved and to be a legacy to continue. The nation of Israel was a holy nation that God set apart so as the rest of the world looked at Israel, they would think of God. So it was extremely important for the families, the tribes within the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, it was extremely important for them to protect their family lineage because it pointed ultimately to the will of God. So a kinsman redeemer is someone according to the laws of Moses who had the responsibility on, on behalf of a helpless relative in their own family to redeem them in one of many ways. Okay, they would vindicate them if their family members were in trouble, in danger, or in need. They could redeem family property if it was lost. They could redeem family members who were in slavery. They could avenge a death in the family. They could even redeem a trustee for the family. However, the most uh, unique way, and specifically to this story, that a kinsman redeemer is called is when someone marries the widow of one of his relatives, and by marrying them, restores their fortune, and then has children who can become the heir of that fortune. All right, so when you think of kinsman redeemer, when you think of Ruth saying, Redeem me, what she is saying is, My husband is gone. My, fa- my father-in-law's gone. This family name will not carry on unless you marry me and we have children and they carry that name on for us. She needs a kinsman redeemer to come and restore the family. And Boaz happens to be related to Naomi through marriage. Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, who is of the tribe of Judah in Bethlehem, we find out Boaz is actually related to the family. So Naomi knows ding da, da ding 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 we got a kinsman redeemer in the family who's wealthy and owns land and has already been generous, and Ruth, you better marry this guy or we're in trouble. All right, so that leads us to point number one. The first of the three things I'd like us to see in verses one through five, let's look at the plan of Naomi and as it requires strength for submission. Let's see how the plan of Naomi requires strength for submission. Now here's the plan. Naomi's cooked it up in her mind. She has said to Ruth, here's what I want you to do. Boaz is down at the threshing floor. I'll tell you in a minute what that is. And he's gathering up the the, the barley harvest. Say that five times. And when he gets to eat and drink and go to bed, I want you to go to him and I want you to uncover his feet and lay patiently at his feet and wait and watch and ask to be redeemed. Now, as we walk through this, we got to talk first of all in verse 3 about what is the threshing floor. Well, the threshing floor is an elevated place, specifically, most likely, probably the second floor of a barn outside of town where they're gathering all of the harvest of the barley wheat and they're threshing it out, okay? They're removing the kernels from the husks and they're gathering up all the grain, And these men, these landowners, typically would abandon their home for several weeks at a time and sleep at the threshing floor to protect their crop from thieves. And also, it just time management. They could wake up early, go right back at it, work as hard as they can, get something to eat, lay down and go after it again. (laughs) If there's any accountants in the room today, you know exactly what I'm talking about as we get close to April 15th. You get as close as you can to the computer, you work as long as you can, you go home, you sleep, you shower, right back at it for another 13 hours. That's what it was like at harvest time. So he's at the threshing floor. And in verse 4, we see this, this plan, is Naomi is sending Ruth to go in the dark and sit at his feet when he is sleeping and when he wakes up to gently and patiently call out for redemption. Now there's a couple things that she says. One thing she says... In, uh, in the passage here in verse three is to wash herself and anoint herself as she goes. Okay, this is a literal and a symbolic issue. Literally, she's going to be more attractive if she washes herself. Symbolically, Ruth has been in mourning. And typically in the Israel nation, when they were in mourning, they wore sackcloth and ashes and they mourned the death of loved ones. So this is a symbol. Naomi is saying your time of mourning is over. And your time of redemption has come. So wash, be anointed, and go sit at his feet. Now, this was Naomi's plan. But there's some problems with this plan. And I'm going to be very literal with you. All right? So there were many women who would tiptoe into the threshing floor throughout the harvest season and sit next to men who were wealthy landowners. Those women were called prostitutes and they would offer their services for grain. And so Naomi is telling Ruth to go in such a way that she may actually come across as a prostitute, and that's kind of dangerous. Also, there's the threat if she comes off like a prostitute that when Boaz wakes up and sees her at his feet, he will lose respect for her because he already in the last chapter said she's got a worthy reputation for her loyalty to her mother-in-law. So Naomi has a plan. I think she's got good intentions. She wants to see Ruth marry Boaz so that the family is restored. But at the same time, she's sending Ruth into dangerous quarters. Who knows what's going to happen when this guy wakes up in the middle of the night and a woman's at his feet? Because we know Boaz is a worthy man of God as well. And what's he going to think when he sees this? But here's the key to that passage. In the first a chunk of the first five verses, seven words that show us biblical submission. Here is what Ruth says, all that you say I will do. All that you say I will do. Ruth is not a weak woman. We sell that last chapter. She ran into the grain fields and worked by the sweat of the brow. She is not weak. She is not a victim. She is a pillar of strength but she willingly submits to the authority of her mother-in-law. She told her, la- she told her in the beginning of the book, where you go, I go. Where you, what you will do, I will do. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So when Naomi cooks up this story and says, go and do this, what's her response? All that you say, I will do. All that you say, I will do. And let me say this before we move on to point two. Are you strong enough to willingly submit to every authority figure that God has put in your life as an act of worship to God because the world needs to see this and I'm going to get tangible for a second all right let's start with the children in this room are you willingly able to submit to your parents all right God did not tell you that you have to agree with your parents God did not tell you to negotiate with your parents. God did not tell you that submission is a sometime thing, that it's temporary, that it's conditional. No, what did he say? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, he said, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You know what that means? If you're a child, the parents that God has placed above you, he has called you to willingly submit to them said, all the children in this room, and really everybody in this room that still has a parent who's breathing, you're called to submit to their authority. You may not always agree with it, but it's God's will that you respect them in a wonderful and special way, and you respect them by obeying them. All right, let's go down further. What about those of you who are still employed? What about your boss at work? You may not love your boss. You may not respect your boss. You may not agree with your boss, but if you love God, you will honor and submit to your boss. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you go into the workplace Monday morning, your primary boss is Jesus. And you honor Jesus by submitting to your boss. Again, you don't have to agree with them, but you do have to submit to them. What about public policy? All right, we would fully affirm that there are many people in this country that are making policy and they are not Christian and those policies are things that we wouldn't always agree with. Well, Matthew twenty-two twenty-one says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. In so much as it does not violate our moral holy standards as Christians, we are to obey public policy. You know what that means? Pay your taxes. Pay them. Be a good Christian. Submit to the authorities Uh, Submit to the IRS and do what they tell you to do, because that honors Christ. It also helps some of our members here actually pay their bills. (laughs) What about government leaders? There's quite a few we would not agree with. But you know what Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist that have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You know what that means? Submit to your governing authorities. You may not agree with them. You may not love them. But God is sovereignly in control, and he's put them in place for a season, for a purpose, sometimes for blessing, sometimes for judgment. But we respond in submission. And then finally, what about church leaders? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. I say this to you as your pastor. I don't take that lightly. People ask me all the time, why do you have to have a prospective member class, and then why do you go to their home and meet with them before you present them for membership? And my answer is this. If you're a a member of this church, when I stand before God at my day of judgment, I will have to give an account of how I have shepherded your soul. And that keeps me up at night. So your submission to me as your pastor is not something I take as, as uh, something I lord over someone. It is, it is a sobering reminder that I'm going to be judged of how I've pastored this church. And the same for those of you who are visiting the pastor that you have at your home church. You know, I, I will say this. There are times that you're, you're called willingly not to submit Okay? There's, there's three in particular that I tell everyone in our prospective member class. If someone is being unbiblical, unethical, or immoral, your primary responsibility is to God. And I want to affirm that. Okay? So if you do have a leader over you and they're telling you to do something that would violate your walk with God, yes. In a godly way, you have the responsibility to willingly reject submission to them. But I would say most of the time, We reject authority not because they're being unbiblical, but simply because we do not like submitting. We do not like following. We do not agree. And that is unbiblical on our part. You know, learning to submit is something I'm growing into. It is. It's not something that comes natural to me. Uh, I'm not a very aggressive person. I'm pretty passive in most things, but I do have an inquisitive mind. I have to know why things work. And I've learned that submission does not require understanding. It requires obedience. And I've learned this step by step. I've been a Christian now for 10 years. And God's helping me through this. In, my work, in, in the work that I've had in years past, I've grown in the way that I've progressively been more submissive to my bosses, which is ironic because the last two bosses I've had are younger than me. Uh, but I had to willingly submit to them. And I'm learning through that God is blessed. Even when I disagree with them, he's blessed it because I've submitted to them. You know, the same with church. So, you know, the last three churches that I've been a part of, Grace Community Church on Pulaski Highway, I served under Mike Holt for several years. Here at Cedar Street when I served under Casey Shaw. And then at Seminary under Steve Tillis, who most of you met at, uh, during our revival services. Never once in all the years that I served under those three men did I ever uh, not willingly submit to everything they asked me to do. Did I agree with everything? No. Did I understand everything? No. But I did what they asked me to do, and God blessed it in a special way. And so, before we move on to point two, let me just say, submission doesn't come easy for us. It doesn't. But Ruth shows us it's a beautiful portrait of the order of God and trusting in his sovereign will. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. So, number two, let's look at the proposal of Ruth and how it requires strength for submission. As we look at verses 6 through 11. You know, as we walk through, I'll just point out some quick things. First, in verse 7, we see that Ruth shows the posture of submission. First, she said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, who was an authority figure over her, all that you say I will do, and then she does it. It's beautiful when someone says they're going to do something, and then they do it. And here's what she does. She lays down at the end of the heap grain and softly uncovers the feet of Boaz and lays down. That is a sweet Portrait of submission. She doesn't barge into the room. She doesn't hoot and holler. She quietly sits and quietly waits. And then we see that she speaks words of submission to Boaz. She says in verse 9, I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She's looking at Boaz and saying, You could be my husband and restore this entire family and the name of my late husband. I'm asking you, save me, redeem me. And she bows before him in submission and speaks to him in words of submission, not out of weakness, but out of strength. You know what this shows? Ruth is your Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, uh, many, some of you may know this, but in our English Protestant Bibles, Our books are put in order based on genre, the type of book it is, and length. It was different in the Hebrew Bible before it was translated to English, okay? And in the Hebrew Bible, guess what? The book of Ruth comes right after Proverbs. And Proverbs 31 is a portrait of the virtuous woman, and it leads right into Ruth, who shows us what a virtuous woman is all about. I don't think that's by accident. I don't think God does anything by accident. So think about Proverbs 31. I'll just read a couple of quick parts in the passage. In verse 13 of Proverbs 31, it says that the virtuous woman works with willing hands. Sounds like Ruth. Verse 15, provides food for her household. Isn't that what Ruth did last chapter? Verse 25, she has strength and dignity and wears them as clothing. In verse 26 of Proverbs 31, it says kindness is on her tongue. In verse 31 it says, her works praise her in the gates. And that matches Ruth chapter 3 verse 11 that says, all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Her testimony is one of being a worthy woman of God. Ruth is your Proverbs 31 woman. Amazing. And she is a woman of submission, but she's also a woman of God. So think about this. Think of the world's view of submission versus Ruth's demonstration of submission in this passage. The world rejects submission because the world says, take charge, break all the rules, show everybody who's boss. If you're submissive, you're quiet, you're weak, and you're helpless. But then Ruth says, no, my submission shows that I'm loyal. My submission shows that I work hard. My submission shows my kindness. My submission shows my strength. I'm telling you, the world's dying to see this. They're dying to see it. And Christians are the ones that need to show it. The beautiful thing is God is sovereignly in control of all things. So if everything at work is spinning out of control, you can still submit to your boss because you know God's in control and you're serving him before you're serving your boss. They may not know that you're strong, but God does. And he will reward you as he is rewarding Ruth in this passage. So now we've seen the, the plan of Naomi. We've seen the, the, the posture and the proposal of Ruth. But let's look at the promise of Boaz and how it requires strength for submission as we get towards the end of the passage. In verses 12 through 18, we, now we see the interaction between Ruth and Boaz. Ruth submits to Boaz's leadership. All right, Boaz says, remain here until the morning and what does she do she stays there and remains quietly at his feet until the sun comes up boaz also shows us submission because he says you know what there's another redeemer in the family that's closer to you than me and it would be wrong of me to redeem you without this person getting a chance to do it first So Boaz submits to the will of God because Boaz is not going to jump the gun. He says, I'll find out from him first if he's willing to redeem you, and if he doesn't, I will marry you and restore your fortune. So Boaz, a man of God, is also a man of submission, and together, they're submitting to God in purity. I want you to think about this. A man and a woman in a barn with the lights off. The man is tired the woman smells of sweet perfume they're both away from home. Nobody would know anything but God. But what happens? Ruth and Boaz maintain their purity. Ruth and Boaz make a commitment and they stick to it. She stays at his feet. they rest till the morning, then he sends her off with some, some grain as a gift to, his, to her mother-in-law, and she goes on her way. That is a beautiful submission to the will of God for the sanctity of of marriage. And again our world needs to see that this is a portrait by the way of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Boaz is the perfect representative of Ephesians 5:25 through 27, which says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Boaz is a representation here of Christ. Ruth is a representation of the church. In Ephesians 5:23 through24, it says, "Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior." Boaz points to Christ because he's a husband who leads and sacrificially redeems through submission to God. Ruth points to the church because she's a wife who trusts and obeys through submission to her husband. Now guess what? I know that's not a popular message in 2018. And the reason why is we've taken this beautiful doctrine of submission and we've tarnished it with something that is not biblical. And I'm going to be hard on the men because we as men, we're the ones that have ruined it first. We've turned looking to be the head of our households as a picture of Archie Bunker and all in the family. All right, we come in and sit down and Edith comes tiptoeing and it says, oh, Archie, and takes off our shoes and brings us a cold drink and waits on us hand and foot. That is not biblical submission. Archie Bunker ought to get out of his chair and lay his life down for Edith. That's submission. And Edith would willingly submit to him if he would willingly die for her. Men, if you're willing to die for your wife, I bet you she'll be willing to submit to you. That's marriage according to God. And this world is, the world's looking everywhere saying, where is this? Where is this? And we're not seeing it. But Ruth is, and, and Boaz are showing it to us right now. So how do I sum this up? In one sentence that points directly to the whole point of this, I would say we find the truest example of strength in Jesus Christ who secured our salvation through total submission To the Father's will. You know, on Thursday, we're gonna have a Monday, Thursday service here at the church, and it's my prayer at seven o'clock if you have an ability to come, that you come. I mean this, and I'm not sugarcoating this. It is the single most meaningful service I have ever experienced, was last year when we walked through this together. We take communion, we have candlelight, and we remember on Thursday night here's what we remember. We remember Jesus Christ in the garden. This is before he took the cross. All right, this is before the Roman soldiers came and took him, and he had to stand before the Sanhedrin, and they played a game of ping pong and sent him back, back and forth from Herod, you know, all the way to Pontius Pilate, back and forth again. Before all that took place, one decision had to be made, and we see the humanity and deity of Jesus. Here's what we see. Jesus understands that he's going to have to drink every drop of the wrath of God. And he he cries out to God. He cries out to God. He does so in the gospel specifically in Mark chapter 14, verse 26. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That is the most beautiful portrait of submission. To the will of god and in a couple months ago we talked when we talked about the lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven how do we know we're christian we trust in the will of god and we submit to the will of god and we do that by submitting to the authority figures that god places above us in the workplace in the church And at home, because it's the portrait of God's order, and specifically within our marriages, it's the portrait of Christ and the church. As we have a time of invitation, here's my my prayer for all of us. First and foremost, would you say in this room right now that you have submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Maybe you've made a profession of faith, but let me ask you this for seven days, in the week that you just lived, could someone look at your life and say that Jesus Christ is the prime authority of your life and your words and your actions reflect that? Not perfectly, we are sinners. But in the direction of Jesus, thinking about Him when you make decisions, thinking about Him in prayer, thinking about Him when you're speaking to other people. If you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. We don't give our lives to him by praying a prayer and then going and doing everything we did before we prayed that prayer. Salvation comes through submission. Your life belongs to Jesus. If you accept him as Savior, you will accept him as Lord. Now for those of you who are Christian, is there someone in your life right now that God has placed above you in a, as a level of authority and it has been hard for you to submit to them? You don't agree with them? they frustrate you, they anger you, you wish they could just see it your way. I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm just say this from the bottom of my heart. Let's take a, a page from the book of Ruth and say this, you will never know the blessing of God until you submit totally to the will of God. And you do that by submitting to the authorities that God has placed above you in every area of your life. You may not agree with it. You may not like it. I did say there are moments, if it's unethical or unbiblical or immoral, that you're well within your right to hold to your loyalty to God and say, I won't do that. But in everything else, you submit and you watch God bless you the way he blessed Ruth. Don't take it on my word. Take it on God's. That's the strength of our submission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you and we praise you. Father, I confess to you that this is not easy. And what I preach, I must practice. So forgive me and forgive us. Father, let let us be a portrait of submission because it's a portrait of trust in your will and worshiping your name, Father. Let the members of this church Be beacons of salt and light in this community by the way that they submit to their bosses and the way that they submit to each other. Father, help us to be like Ruth, not in weakness but in strength, not in doubting but in trust, to give our lives to your will by submitting to those you place above us. Help us by the strength of your Spirit, for without you this is impossible, but with you all things are possible. This we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.